This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Jonathan Hansen. I'm the president of World Ministries International. I want to welcome you to the Warning Program. Wherever you're watching or listening, welcome. We're in our college chapel here at World Ministries International, our classroom, and I'm speaking today in front of a live audience. The topic, the champion's heart. The champion's heart. Proximo told the fighters in the movie Gladiator, quote, ultimately, we are all dead men, unquote. Quote, sadly, We cannot choose how, but we can decide how we meet that end in order that we are remembered as men, unquote. The question is, how will the journals of heaven and the memories of people on earth remember you? How are they going to remember you? 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If we love his appearing, we keep his commandments. The champion's heart. How will people remember you? I know how I remember my grandmother, Letta Henson, a woman of faith, poured out her life serving God, went to a concentration camp, my grandfather. I know how I remember my father, lived for the kingdom, had nothing to give us when he left the earth, but an old car that went to one of my daughters. But he poured out his life for the kingdom. How are people going to remember you? Paul, the great apostle, is happy as his life is drawing near to its end. He's happy. Many people are not happy because he is satisfied that all his work is done and that his life has been spent in pleasing God. Some people are going to have a lot of regrets. They lay on their deathbed regretting. What a wonderful thought it is to imagine coming to the end of life and being able to rest in our beds with the satisfaction of knowing that God's will has been completed in our lives. His will has been completed. Releasing the great 
expectancy Paul had of his reward, expressed in anticipation of receiving what? He talked about the crown of righteousness, unquote. Paul understood in totality that all was expected of him by the Lord and used his checklist, if you want to call it that, to confirm that he had accomplished it all. The apostolic grace causes a person to be conscientious regarding the stewardship of the gifts and calling bestowed on them by the Lord. The Lord gives the fivefold gifts of ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, pastor. We should know by the Holy Spirit, we are conscious of that fact of his grace in our lives. Are we using his grace? The apostolic grace causes a person to be conscientious. This same consciousness can be experienced by all believers who are exposed to apostolic ministry. In many cases, believers go through long periods of, if we want to say, wandering in the wilderness, not having ascertained what their purpose and calling may be. Paul's list included three areas that sum up his apostolic job description. One, I have fought a good fight. Paul uses the illustration that commonly understood by those living under Roman rule and occupying legions of soldiers. However, he knew that the battle was with a spiritual army. Spiritual army of demons on earth and spiritual rulers in the heavens. Paul had revelation of the enemy's capabilities, strength of forces, weapons at their disposal against mankind. He understood the demonic and how it worked. I think many people on earth don't understand the demonic. They wouldn't recognize a demon inside of their best friend. They won't have any discernment when spirits come and attack their marriage. They have no discernment if they're splitting up their church. And they certainly can't cast them out because they don't even recognize one. Paul knew that his spiritual enemy was a spiritual military strategist who made well-planned attacks against the church. As an apostle, he was equipped with intelligence. If we want to say God's intelligence, which is super intelligence. From the Holy Spirit that enabled him to always triumph in Christ through the use of the armor of God gifts of the spirit authority of the believer are we using spiritual intelligence are we being discipled and trained are we attending a church where then Issachar is leading not just a pastor that is in love with the world if you're attending that type of church why are you attending I never get sitting under a dead man are they in tune with what's going on in the world are they teaching you to move with the spirit of God are they teaching you to lay hands on the sick or recognize demons or cast them out? It's pathetic if you listen to a man and watched him all your life, but yet you can't move in those same type of anointing. We're supposed to lay hands on the sick. You're supposed to have authority to cast out demons. Paul was a spiritual general through the use of the armor of God. Paul trained his troops to invade enemy territory and, quote, destroy strongholds, unquote, with the anointed word of God, plundering those held captive by the devices of the enemy. 
Are you able to destroy the enemy that is trying to destroy you, your home, your family? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Punishing all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. A good fight is a fight that you win. If I'm in a fight and I lose, I don't call it a good fight. No matter how valiantly you may fight, the matter is who is left standing when the battle is over. Well, I fought a good fight. Did you win or lose? Well, I tried. I don't care if you tried. In war, you're dead. In the gladiators, you're dead. It's nice you tried hard, but you're dead. Spiritually, as our Christian life, many times we are dead. We, we lose our battles. We suffer needlessly. We're not prosperous. We're not victorious. How many times do we need the same truth taught before applied and we're victorious? A good fight is a fight you win. Paul was satisfied that he won the battles that he faced in the name of the Lord in each province of the known world where he established the church of Christ and he left a contingency of disciples to carry on the work of expanding the kingdom of God in the region. Even though the enemy made many attempts on his life, he had many scars to prove that. Yet he was victorious and he remained alive until he was, quote, ready to give up, to offer up his life. He was ready to offer it up. He gave it up. He could have ran. He could have saved his life. Jesus could have saved his life. He knew what he was doing on his way to Jerusalem. Paul knew what he was doing. He was warned what would happen to him. It wasn't that he couldn't escape. It is good to be able to look back and see that your labor was not in vain. That those you have trained are continuing to bear the fruit for the glory of God. That is satisfaction. So Paul one fought a good fight. Again, we're talking today about the champion's heart. Number two, I have finished the race. Again, Paul uses the illustration from the sports arena of his day. You know, he used being a soldier because he lived under Roman occupation control. He used an athlete because, again, in Rome, you had the games all the time. You had the gladiator sports. You had other things that you had to train if you wanted to compete, if you wanted to live. If you have no hope of living, then you're dead. Then you don't train. If we want to live longer, we've got to train. We've got to force ourselves to be obedient to the truth and the word of God. If you take it casually, you'll be a casualty. You know, we could talk about health. You could have a health doctor talk to you every day, and you never lose a pound, and you're fat as a glutton. If you take your health casualty, casually, you'll be a casualty. When are we going to change? 
It's up to you. The battle's in the mind. It's the same thing spiritually. When are you going to be able to lay hands on the sick, defeat the enemy, cast out demons? Well, I'm not interested. Well, shame on you then. Shame on you. That's part of the gospel. What God said you should be doing, what you should be striving for. Some people just want to strive in their matter of work. That's nice, but at the end of the day, when you lie in bed dying, are you going to be happy? Well, God, I wasn't really interested, and that's why I didn't move in the gifts. I think you're going to be afraid, frankly, even to die. Paul was ready to offer up his life. Again, I have finished the race. Here is the fact that he was never disqualified from the race. But he crossed the finish line after staying in his lane for the whole race. If you were in a race and you went outside of your line, your lane, you were disqualified. One of the sports, I, I was in sports every season. I was a four-year letterman. And every single, every single fall, winter, spring, I was in sports. And I lettered in everything. But there was rules I had to follow. Or I was disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for the imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I disciple my body and bring it to submission, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. When I was in SWAT and we trained constantly as, as well as ran 10K competitive races every weekend, and I would train even for eight-mile races, a leg. Each one ran eight miles up a hill. Yeah, up a hill eight miles. You try that. Some of you can't walk eight blocks, not yet eight miles up a hill. Run. But we trained constantly. It was a privilege to be on that team. You were the elite. Whatever I have done, I've wanted to be the best. If you can't be the best, why are you trying? Mediocracy. It's a life of failure. Understand that. If you're satisfied to be mediocre and not with excellence, I don't want to be mean, but you are probably a failure. We are supposed to excel in whatever we do for the glory of God. We're supposed to give it our best effort so we and God will reward us and we'll be promoted in our physical activities and works. We don't just get by. Oh, we shouldn't want that attitude. I'm just going to get by. Finishing without disqualifying was an important goal for the apostle, as it should be with all of us. The idea of disqualification and forfeiting was what is promised is then illustrated by apostle using Israel and their failure to wholly follow the Lord. You see it all the time, their failure, them going into bondage, then their repentance, and then God bringing them out of bondage. Paul even lists the reasons for their failure to enter the promised land and warns believers not to follow in the footsteps of these rebels, these people of unbelief. These who call themselves children of God. God called them rebels. 
people of unbelief. They were called the children of God. But not all the children of God received the promises of God or the blessings of God or moved into the promised land. I don't believe he is talking to believers about maybe missing heaven, although sometimes he is. Each one has to judge for himself, but warning them regarding disqualifying from obtaining all of God's promises that God has planned for you in your life. Are you going to really fulfill your destiny? Or are you satisfied with something far less? These blessings may include fruitfulness in ministry, divine health, financial prosperity, protection from the enemy. I believe many, quote, Christians suffer these and many other areas because they don't strive to be excellent. They don't strive to be a soldier, an athlete in competition like under Rome. Consequently, again, I've said it in the past, if you take it casually, you'll be a casualty. You know, an unlicensed holistic doctor, Ray Gabara, came up with that phrase that stuck with me. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual food. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not pleased with their bodies and they were scattered in the wilderness. Now these became examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. And we do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 died. Not let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Are we like these people who died in the wilderness? Frankly, some of you watching and listening are. Maybe some in this very room. The Corinthian believers were in danger of disqualification because of the false sense of security that existed among them. As Paul said, Therefore let not who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. 1 Corinthians 10.12 A number of years ago, Leonard Ravenhill wrote the book Drinking from the River and Dying in the Wilderness. He points out the dangers of false security that comes from enjoying God's blessings in our midst and the Spirit poured out among us while still continuing to indulge in the flesh and sin. The Corinthians were having a great move of God but were not al allowing their lifestyle to catch up with the anointing they were experiencing when together. It's easy to think we must be okay since God is still among us, that God doesn't really mind if we continue to live as we have and did before we were saved. They drank from the river and died in the wilderness. The Israelites had a river of God among them that was manifested in five spiritual natural provisions. In other words, supernatural. Supernatural protection of the cloud, supernatural deliverance through the sea, supernatural leadership of Moses, and supernatural food from heaven, as well as supernatural water from the rock. 
With all of these manifested blessings, they still continued in five sins that brought disqualification to them, not allowing them to enter the promise of God and the land that God promised them. They couldn't enter into the promises of God because of sin, lusting after evil things, idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting Christ, complaining. I know some, every church usually has a few big mouths. You know, they, they, you know you're not as holy as I am. Uh, I don't watch pornography. I don't do this. I don't do that. No, you just talk behind leadership's back. You're called a big mouth. And God puts you as disqualifying the blessings of God. Do we care? If you don't care, might as well be content with a life of failure. Might as well quit praying over things that you never see victory because you're not going to get them until you control your mouth. These sins cause the Israelites to step out of bounds. When Paul uses the illustration running a race, he's referring to the fact that a runner must stay in his lane. He must stay in boundaries if he's going to finish the race. God has a lane, boundaries for all of us. The lines are on either side of the lane, and they're there to make sure the runner runs straight. The straightest way to the goal. They're not there to provide a hindrance but to provide opportunity to succeed. If we want to succeed in life, we follow the lanes and the lines on those lanes that God has provided for us. He's warned us to stay in your lane. Often the boundaries set for the believer might seem restricted and may cause rebellion in one's heart through complaining against the way God is dealing with us. How many people complain when God is dealing with you? You know, it's easy to say yes because most people have done it, but you don't want to always do it. You're not going to get your promises answered, your prayers. The promises aren't going to be yours. You've got to quit complaining. Didn't you hear the example? They died for these reasons. They died by the thousands. God knows what we must do to obtain all he has planned for us. God knows, even if we don't know what he's doing. Boundaries are necessary for training and self-discipline, protocol and submission. Without these established in our lives, we will not finish our race. Paul was satisfied knowing that he could not cross the line set up in his journey because he wanted a life of excellence. He had to stay within his calling and, and sphere of ministry, maintaining the example that others throughout the generations could follow. Paul said, three, I have kept the faith. Mark eleven twenty four, as well as Hebrews eleven one, we talk about faith. We're usually referring to the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. That's Hebrews eleven one. That faith that Jesus was talking about in Mark eleven twenty four is called the prayer of faith. Do we expect our prayer of faith to be answered? Then stay in your lane, cross the lanes into sin, whether it's just gossiping, complaining, backbiting, murmuring. It doesn't have to be pornography or immorality or adultery, homosexuality. God judges the heart, the attitude. Mark 11, 24, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask for, when you believe, believe that you receive them and you'll have them if you stay in your lane. That's what he's saying throughout the Bible. Faith perceives as a real fact that which has not yet been revealed to the five physical senses. Hebrews 11.1. Believing that you've already 
receive them even if you can't see them yet. This is faith we use to ascertain the promises of God. Actually, this faith is our sixth sense. It's believing in the heart independently of the five physical senses. But Paul was not talking about faith in this sense. He was talking about faith in the sum total of our beliefs. This is faith. Jude was describing in a small letter that was under attack by the heretics, the defilers. Jude 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend for the faith which was once for all believers delivered. It was delivered to the saints. Paul was satisfied that he kept the faith. He preserved the cardinal doctrines of Christianity that he established for the Christians to have sound doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. Paul taught the truth and he charged Timothy to teach the truth. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, I charge you therefore by Jesus who would judge all living and the dead. Preach the word, be ready in season, convince, rebuke, exhort, and all long-suffering teaching, for they shall endure strong doctrine. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time, Monday through Friday, on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.